Harry, I have no idea where this will lead us, but I have a definite feeling it will be a place both wonderful and strange. GIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. TGIF. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour. And we look forward to our show today. It's the triumphant return of Von Brashler. We're going to be talking, among other things, we're going to be talking about the ancient scroll with specific reference to past lives. Always a great topic. That's a fan favorite, Suzanne. We're looking forward to another visit with Vaughn very much. But before we bring him on, we've got to say hello to bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. And he's going to be checking some people into the boards tonight. Oh, as boy. We anticipate, <laughs> as we anticipate a Seattle Kraken triumph. This is extraordinary what's going on in the city of Seattle. And we are just waiting to congratulate all you folks there on the first playoff series win in the first playoff appearance by the Seattle Kraken. Benny's got his shirt on. The Kraken sees the eyes, the eye, it sees all. Suzanne in particular loves that logo. She thinks that, you know, that evil eye that just really, and that was not included in the original design. Somebody suggested you need an eye in there and they put the red one and it makes that look more menacing to the opponents. And that's what a lot of our uh, ideas on the teams in the local area in the Seattle area have done with a lot of their older images, like even the Seahawks, their older one from the 70s and 80s, just got a little bit more menacing, but it makes it that much more of a powerful of a team. So good luck to the Kraken tonight for game six. Can't wait. They're going to do it. I don't want to go back to Denver. I don't feel like it. So let's do it. Let's make this happen (laughs) and go to round two. We will be watching. We are with Thank you. you. And just let me say, I watched the game the other night, and I'll tell you, the this is <laughs> this is the epitome of Seattle civility. Okay, they want to get the crowd in the game, which I must confess, during the regular season, you watch a cracking game in Seattle, it's like they're at the opera. All right, <laughs> you guys need to get some fire in the belly. So they have this sign, and it simply says. Wave, wave your, your towel. towel. <laughs> 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 hey, hey, hey. It was on this narrow board. Wave your towel because they hand out these souvenir towels, right? With the Kraken logo. There, and I'm going. The only reason, Suzanne, that they don't say more is because it's a short board there in the corner of the rink. Otherwise, it would say, Wave your towel if you are comfortable in doing so and without disturbing others attempting to enjoy this evening's activity. <laughs> now, hey, hey, hey. Calm down. Calm down. We might be a little bit new to this. We might have a little bit of a Seattle freeze going on, whatever you want to call it. Okay, we're warming up to it. It's going to be a gorgeous day today and this weekend. So give us our moment. We're a little shy, too, sometimes. So. That's You're all new at say. this. Yeah, so we're new at this, right. I don't want to say it right off the bat, but you, know, like, <laughs> but you get it. Oh, but I just thought that was so funny. I <laughs> laughed out loud. But, uh, you know, the Seattle Kraken, I mean, how many years? And somebody said the other night there that 
uh, in the Seattle culture, they're they're getting people used to the idea that Seattle can be a hockey town, can be a hockey town. <laughs> when they had when they had minor league franchises, they'd go crazy in their fights in the parking lot. What are you kidding? They still We've do. We've been waiting for this forever. Yeah, they still. Do. And tonight, there was somebody just this morning on the NHL Network was saying that he'd love to be in that arena tonight because he thinks the place is going to go crazy, and that's just what I wanted to hear. Well, whoever said that, I give him a round of applause. There you go. Good on them. Good on them. So, good luck to the Kraken. I, I, I have a very good feeling about it. This is one of those Cinderella stories. In the meantime, Von Brashler. He's a Kraken fan and a whole lot more. So, let's go ahead and give the man his mad props, and we will start a metaphysical Q&A session with this honorable gentleman. Von Brashler is a lifetime member of the International Theosophical Society with headquarters in Adyar, India. He is the author of several books on consciousness development and a student of yoga. He has led workshops throughout the U.S. and the U.K. and appeared on television and many radio shows. He lives in a cabin on a small island in the San Juans near Anacortes, Washington. That's my dream is to live in a cabin on an island. So welcome once again to Manson Mitchell. Von Brashler, good to have you with us today. Thank you, Suzanne. Hi, hi, Gary. Well, hello, Von. Wonderful to talk to you. Uh, you know, I'm asking this as much for Suzanne's sake as my own, maybe even more so, because Suzanne has often told me of her dream of being in a cabin, being near the water, being able to hike around the lake, for example, where you are, does it give you a, a deep sense of satisfaction that might have made Thoreau proud? Oh, definitely. You know, I mean, um, I've lived on various islands here and in um, in Alaska, and all my significant vacations were on islands, and and I couldn't picture myself anywhere but on an island, and I had to pick one that was remote and yet accessible. So this was my dream for many, many years. Yes, I had the same dream of being on a cabin on an island surrounded by trees and water. Mm. Sounds okay. like heaven to you. It does sound like heaven to me. That's, that's my next life. That is my next life. Did you hear that, Gary? Great segue. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> that was so smooth, I almost missed it. That was something else. Yes, indeed. Before we get to that, though, something occurred to me this morning over my breakfast coffee, and I thought I would just ask you about this, Vaughn, because you study the panoply of psychic topics. There's not much you don't know, but you're always curious to know more when it comes to metaphysics, paranormal, psychic activity. And you wrote a book, it might be the one immediately prior to the one we're promoting today, about the time slip phenomenon. Yeah. And I thought, this just occurred to me this morning. We already did an interview about this, but it occurred yeah. to me. If you had an experience or if humans had the ability, what if you're walking down a street in a town that you may have lived in as a child? And I'm being hypothetical. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you experience a time slip so that looking over at the five and dime on the corner by the fire hydrant across the street from the jewelry store where you used to hang out and next door to the ice cream store where you got two scoops. What if you saw yourself at the age of eight 
nine, 10 years of age, when you are decades beyond that, but saw yourself there, wouldn't it be wonderful if you could tell that younger version of yourself all the things that he needed to know to avoid the traps and the snares of life as life goes on? Oh, yes. And and these kind of experiences do happen. Usually, accidentally, as time slips. But, uh, you know, when, when that happens, uh, what usually you will be very perceptive and aware of what you're seeing, even though it's, you know, uh, unsettling and a little jarring uh, at first. But the people that you, you see there from this other time period will tend not to see you or interact with you. This is the odd thing. It's rare that they do. It can happen. And I think it depends on how much of your subtle energy bodies you bring with you or whether you're able to bring your physical body with you. But I think um, to to more broadly uh, address the question, Gary, I think what happens is there's a convergence of of times because there's really only one timeline, but it kind of gets stuck. And sometimes they'll kind of like they'll kind of like transpose onto each other. And I've always thought that it has something to do with magnetic, uh, electromagnetic anomalies in the earth. And, you know, that's interesting that you say that because there was, I believe the, the gentleman was a scholar from Oxford who thought he saw a correlation between psychic activity, seeing, for example, ghostly imprints there, this idea of place memory. Yep. He noticed those occurring around the time of earthquake activity. Yep, yep. And that was something I never thought about before. He noticed it and documented it, and he found quite a few cases of it. I wish I could remember his name, but I remember seeing this on TV years ago. Well, I'm I'm a big fan of, although I don't understand even a tenth of what he wrote, but Einstein. And, of course, he writes about electromagnetic energy as being a, a kind of a root of everything you know and and i think that there are there are uh things that happen in nature which will cause kind of like a time portal or a, a crossing you know uh, of uh from one area as we say seeing beyond the veil there's a veil that separates us uh, uh in time and space but the, these things can be crossed you know and they are crossed and and the more I've studied time from my limited perspective, um, I think that it has a bearing on everything. I think it has a bearing, for instance, on on our lives and past lives, and our past life studies, and in our dreams and everything. Because in truth, there really is no there is no fixed time and space. There's only our ability to move along the timeline. And if we learn to move along the timeline, we can explore our past lives or even our future lives. I love that, both past and future. The the uh, most recent writing of yours has come out in a very interesting form. It's called Past Lives, and it is in the form of a scroll, which I just find very unique, a great uh, marketing tool to to do it in that way and um gary and i are always interested in this consciousness study reincarnation past lives 
something that intrigues me a lot. It must intrigue you too to have devoted this book to past lives. How did the scroll idea all come about? How'd you get involved in that? Well, I work with my uh, my publishing uh, director over at Red uh, Feather, Schiffer, and that's Chris McClure, and he, he's a very clever marketing person. Yeah. And I was talking to him about we have to have uh, a, a short, shorter read books. I said short read books that will quickly engage the reader and ground the reader in basic uh, metaphysical esoteric uh, knowledge. Or what we often call the ancient wisdom tradition, which which can easily be lost, and that brings up the second reason we did it, and that is, uh, I th- I think this is just me personally, not not Gary or Schiffer, I think that we 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 very well could be going into a mini dark age again, when when information will be suppressed and lost. I mean, we we see book book burnings and book bannings in our mm-hmm. own country, a democracy. And not to get political, but, you know, this is a frightening thing. And it's happened before. And, and a lot of knowledge has been lost or hidden uh, or, or momentarily waylaid. And so, like, if you think back to the 50s, this had a profound effect on me. In the 50s, a lot of ancient wisdom surfaced and it was buried in the earth. You know, it was buried in clay pots. It, you know, it, it was the Nag Hammadi Library. And also in the 50s, you know, we had the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yep. And then also, you know, er, er, early on in the century, we had the finding of the Babylonian tablets. These are profound uh, findings of ancient knowledge that has been hidden from us and buried in the earth. And so I say, maybe it's time to do a few scrolls. It with with a with a with a wrapped in a plastic tube. Did you notice wrapped in a plastic tube? That'll last a long, long time if you bury it in your backyard. And that's where I'm going to put my copies. <laughs> very good, very good. I love this idea of the past lives, and one of the things that intrigues me, especially, that I wanted to talk to you about today was. When you meet somebody for the first time and you instantly recognize them. Yeah. I I have had this experience more than once. And one time years ago, I had it with a, um, with a man that I met where it's like the, the second we were in the same room together I knew this was somebody that I had loved very deeply. And it wasn't until decades later in talking with a psychic medium that she said, yes, you knew him in the 1200s. Wow. She said, that's what I'm picking up. And, And he came through your village and the two of you had an instant attraction but then he moved on and lived in the next village over and was married to somebody else. Yeah. And so, um, and more recently I had that with a woman who I felt I might be related to because we got on so well, just instantaneously. And so to me, that really says that we have had 
other lives together yeah, yeah. with other people. I mean, I, I think reincarnation in my mind is, is a very real thing. And, yeah. you know, what, what did, what do you think about, you know, this familiarity with other people that you're meeting just for the first time? What did Yogi Berra say? It's deja vu all over again. <laughs> you know, Yogi had some great ones, didn't he? But, you know, I mean, this indicates, I think, Suzanne, that you're you're very aware, a uh, very aware person that you pick up on this because uh, it, this this could happen to a lot of people. And a lot of people fail to notice uh, or remember. Uh, there are so many ways that we have memory of past lives and the deja vu experience is certainly one, you know, and, and this is the experience that happens in different ways. It, it would be someone that you recognize, but you can't figure out from when and where, or, or, or you come upon a situation and you say, this has all happened before. I know what's going to happen next. I know what people are going to say next. This is deja vu. Or you'll come upon a place and you say, I don't know how, but I've been here before. I, this is so familiar. I know where I'm at, you know, and that's deja vu, you know? So I, I think that, I think this, this happens to a lot of people and, and, and they have no way of, of, of recognizing it. And rather than just accept it, they, they just kind of blow it off. But, you know, it, to be really fair and, and scientific, you would want to search your memory and, and spend some time eliminating the obvious. I mean, mm -hmm. could you have met this person or 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 known about this place or this this event uh, by reading about it, by seeing a documentary, a movie? Did somebody tell you? You know, I mean, where did it come from? And if it's not in your 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 physical memory, your your in your brain, this great computer storehouse that stores all your your experiences of this lifetime, well, then it must come from somewhere else, deeper inside you, you know, inside your spirit, your old soul that remembers all and knows all. One of the most interesting things I found out in, in your book, Past Lives, was the idea that our, our souls which may have had many, many, many lifetimes, there is some of that experience, some of that uh, knowledge, some of that that actually can kind of bleed through the current life. There are things that you know right from birth and you don't know how you know them. Yeah. And the conversation Gary and I have had about this topic several times was in regard to musicians, yeah. where if they've been musicians over many lifetimes, then suddenly they come into this lifetime and they're like a, a prince or a Mozart who yeah. is writing all kinds of music at five or six or seven years old, mm -hmm. because this isn't the first time that they've been exposed to that. That, yeah. that has been over many lifetimes. And and so I, I find it interesting that there is something that comes through at birth that isn't really connected 
with this lifetime. It is connected with other lifetimes. Yeah. And, you know, there's a famous uh, a book, I uh, can't think of the title, written by Helene Corrine, C-O-R-I-N-E, I mean, Helene Corrine. And, and she talks about great musicians such as Mozart and how they seem to come through with, with some kind of a priori knowledge, you know, in a Plato sort of way. And, and they have, they have some knowledge of music and they seem to be listening to music from beyond somewhere, or maybe it's in their memory, you know, it's a curious thing. And then you have, of course, back to a priori knowledge, you have people that will be like born and they can walk up to a piano and play something. And not only can they play the piano, but they might be able to play a certain, a certain song as though by memory, you know, without any training or knowledge that we can, we can see, you know, and, and years ago, you know, Plato wrote his famous theory of rec, uh, remembrance. Was it remembrance? See, I'll, I'll get it for you here. Uh, yeah, it, it is, um, it is this theory of uh, having remembered things. Uh, a theory of recollection, recollection. That's a good word, isn't it? So, so, so uh, we, we have a lot of experience like that uh, to draw upon. There's a lot of documentation of people that seem to have been born with the knowledge of a language that they were not exposed to or studied in this lifetime. And you, you, you've probably heard of these people. They're, they're rare, but they're out there. They definitely are out there, and it seems unaccountable without resorting to speculation of necessity. Well, yeah. that's the way I, I think about that. I don't know how a Mozart, or in our day, how a prince can yeah. be so accomplished, so young, with such virtuosity based on nature and nurture in a single yeah. lifetime. I find that I, I address that with a good deal of skepticism to all appearances. That's what's yeah. happened. But I think yeah. there's an X factor involved and I yeah. can't explain it, but I do wonder about it. Well, I mean, Prince is one of these amazing people that not only was he largely self-taught, but he could play many instruments. He would just pick them up and play them. Right. And so, extremely well. Yes. He, he picked... He picked up a guitar. No, I'm not saying it was for the first time, hardly yeah. there, but he played a guitar there. And uh, it seems, as I recall, it seems to me uh, he played While My uh, while my Guitar Gently Weeps, the George yeah. Harrison song, yeah. and Eric Clapton was there. And people were stunned by the virtuosity of Prince yeah. reproducing these sounds in his own way that were originally written by George Harrison. And people wanted to... Uh, get Eric Clapton involved and they asked him who do you think is the greatest guitarist and he said the greatest guitarist is up on stage right now right pointing right. to Prince right you know and this is Eric Clapton saying this right where does all of that come from it flows through your fingers having come from your brain but what is behind all of that that kind of extraordinary creativity can it be practiced and managed and manifested in a single lifetime ask anybody with a prosaic view and they'll say, well, of course you just heard it. You just saw it. That's what it is. But I still think there's something more involved. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, a lot of people say, how can this be? You know, how can it be? Uh, they want a material explanation. And so consider this. There's 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 the you that you see on the outside, the, the material you. And then there's an, an inner you, an inner self, you some, sometimes called the higher self, the self that we seldom address or even or even uh, speak to, or on, or on, or in hinge. And this is this is a spirit. It's, a, it's an eternal flame that burns within each one of us. And this is our eternal spirit that comes with a with a tremendous memory of having lived before. You know, in another part of your your book, Past Lives, there is something that you wrote that I found intriguing and it went right back to this idea of uh, in knowledge inherent at birth. Yeah. And that was that if we don't learn our lessons in this lifetime, we could be looking yeah. at having the same painful lessons in a future life. So when we talk about uh, musical or artistic virtuosos or people who have mastered many languages, yeah. that's all on the plus side. Yeah. But on the minus side, if you you've had a life of, um, you know, greed and sloth and something else, and that carries over then yeah. you might be looking at you have not learned a lesson about um you know having empathy being a good person sharing what you have yeah. um caring about other people providing for other people that mm -hmm. kind of thing could also carry over as as i read that do you agree oh yeah and i think that's how synchronicity works in tandem with karma Kind of an Eastern concept, but I think that I think that we're we're destined to repeat the lessons of the past if if we don't if we don't take a stock of them if they don't actually uh, become part of our moving reality. So so we'll we'll often see like a series of three. You get like three chances or you know to observe something, and it'll just be like repeating the same lesson over, but it'll be slightly different the next time because you didn't respond to it the way it was presented to you the first time. So it might be a, a slightly different setting, a slight, slightly different opportunity. But I mean, I, th I think in writing this and in the ways that different people have looked at, let's call it generally the progression of souls, is is that life is a long, long a journey and, and, and it it's probably endless you know and and we're, we're continually coming here as as in a sense an emanation of souls go through human transformation and we come from a point of absolute universal consciousness and we come to this earth and we experience life in a physical form for ob for obvious reasons to learn and grow and, and 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 then to bring back some 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 interesting observations when we return you know to absolute real, uh, consciousness time and again 
and 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 there have been books like well um uh I knew Dr. Michael Newton when I worked at Llewellyn, and he had written Journey of Souls, Destiny of Souls, and these were actual pieces, place pieces, uh, cases, cases yes. of people that came to him, uh, and and they had in in deep regression gone not back to when they were a child in this life, but back to a previous life and even a life between life, and they could remember coming here as part of a cluster group or a, uh, a group of souls that would occasionally be reincarnated altogether, knowingly or unknowingly, usually unknowingly. And then they would go through, you know, another experience together as a group. And then they would get together later on between lives as specks of light and go through what they had, had observed in a human form uh, in going through that state of consciousness. And and he he had, you know, many many uh, documented cases of people that could remember past lives. In detail, in detail. More to be said about that after the break. I want to pick yeah. that thread up. And that is what we will do when we return. Von Brashler is our honored guest of this hour. He's written a hell of a scroll. I think you ought to read it. There, it has to do with past lives, and this is really some creative marketing involved. A, a book that is a scroll that is a conversation piece all unto itself. We'll get into the weeds, metaphysically speaking, with Von Brashler on the other side of this short break. We are Manson Mitchell. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world-famed, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. 
On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed back Von Brashler, whose new book, Past Lives, will make for an exciting discussion about who we were before we were here. On Saturday, Jody Levon, the happy medium, will grace our airwaves once again with insights gained from her own experiences. And yes, she will be taking calls in the second half of the show. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. On the path to good health and well-being, Alternative Talk 1150 is the station for you. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest, Von Brashler. We are talking about his book, Past Lives. Von, if people want to find out more about your most recent book or some of the others you've written, um, please let them know where they can do that and what you have available. Yeah, my, well, my books are, are online, book, uh, Barnes & Noble online and, and uh, Amazon. And, um, you know, you could go there and I, and I try to keep my author page updated too, so that people can know, uh, what, what I'm up to, if I'm up to anything at all, which, you know, seems to, seems to happen from time to time. But, uh, yeah, uh, so, uh, we have a whole series of these, um, these, these scrolls It's called the ancient mystery series or ancient mystery scrolls. And the next one that comes out will be on lucid dreams, and and I see it as related to this. And then then I have uh, I have some on uh, on uh, um, magical systems, and there's one on 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 energy healing. Talks about different techniques and how they're different, and how they're similar. And then we have an, another set of four that will be on elementals and nature spirits. Uh, uh, what there's one on amulets and talismans, you know. So we just have a a, a number of these, and um, I think that they're 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 kind of discussion starters for people that just kind of want to quickly explore a topic like like past lives, and and then and then get kind of a thumbnail idea as to which way you could go in studying it, because it's not just about all. Do you believe in reincarnation or don't you? There are different ways to look at life continuity. I'm in your um, scroll, the past lives, there's a section called progression of souls. And we started to talk about that before yeah. the break. And I wanted to come back to it. Yeah. You say reincarnation is often considered the progression of souls. Yeah. The question remains how we are progressing exactly are we evolving spiritually with each new life and becoming more perfect beings? Are we in the process of becoming something new, eventually completing a transformation into a new life form? I, some time ago, some years ago, we talked to um, an author who put out the theory that we want to experience everything for our soul's growth. Yes. And, and experiencing everything was ex, as, as simple as if I am being abused in some way, that in a future life, I could be an abuser or in a past life, I was an abuser and I'm trying to see what my victims went through. So in one lifetime, I'm a victim. In another lifetime, I'm an abusive person. Yeah. And I just wonder how that stacked up 
against this idea of the soul's progression because if if i am a victim that is one way of being um let's say a more passive way and then if i am somebody who abuses other people that's more aggressive and and more active how how is the soul progressing if you are if you are having an experience of things that are so negative like that i i think that ultimately we're working, we're working toward a universal harmony um where we understand things from different perspectives we're not working against each other grinding against each other and friction but but working in harmony with each other and understanding different things from different perspectives and i i totally think that 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 the the only thing that makes any sense of of universal consciousness or or light sending us down to this physical planet to live this boxed-in existence of three dimensions up and down and side to side uh, is that we are here to experience things materially and then bring back the experience to the whole so that the whole i think that the whole of us the oneness of of all is actually evolving all evolving as each one of us brings back bits of information think of many ants going out scout ants or scout bees and then they go back to the the, the collective and then they report what they have individually learned and all these little bits of information are somehow going to make um, a, a, um, more awareness and uh, a, a, a different level of consciousness for the whole so that the, the the hive or 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 the collective then grows as as we bring back information i mean i use i can't remember but the idea of a baseball game okay so okay go mariners <laughs> so here you are so you're up at bat and you get your three times at bat you know that's just karma you get three swings and you're out but you sit down and 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 then if if your team is doing well if you've evolved as a group then you get to go up again you know, because you're not out yet. You haven't had your your three outs, and and you get to get three more strikes again before you're out, and then and then eventually the whole the whole group, as group karma goes, say okay, you know, you 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 have to you have to stand down now. You have three outs, but then you experience things by going out in the field and watching other people bat, and you observe them, and you you kind of act as a foil to them. You know, they, they hit the ball, you catch the ball. You try, they try to run around the base, you try to tag them out. And then after having observed that, then you get another turn at bat. It's like a cat with nine lives. You get nine innings, you know. And I think there's no coincidence that the Abner Doubleday, often cited as an originator of, of the modern game of baseball from what was once broomball or stickball, wanted to introduce the concepts of karma and reincarnation into baseball i didn't know that tabner doubleday was that metaphysical really that's the first time i've ever heard that he was general abner doubleday was a member of the international theosophical society and like many of us they don't 
they don't make a big deal of it because there aren't many of us. And we just kind of like uh, kind of absorb the information and move on. Well, that takes me to an interesting because theosophy is prominent in your book and scroll book in the form of a scroll. Yeah. You talk about Madame Blavatsky and theosophy. When you look at her life and career, do you spot a trajectory? Because, and I say this in the interest of fair reporting. Yeah. uh, You know, Roger Hodgson, Roger yeah Hodgson, I believe was his name, an Australian scientist, yeah. yeah, was hot on her trail in India, and he thought he spotted fraud there, and he was pursuing her and and according to the story, the way I read it anyway, I didn't verify it. It's just something I read there that you know she kind of hot footed it out of town, and yet later on, people viewed her as a grand dame of metaphysics through the Theosophical Society. I'm curious to know, in your reading of Madame Blavatsky, was there a maturation process in her thinking so that theosophy could become seen as a mature philosophy of life? Well, that's it. I mean, you know, she started out as as kind of a psychic medium, you know, and then she was kind of um, recruited by adept uh, people in in the Himalayan mountains, the so-called a great brotherhood and um they they worked with her and they selected her because they said that she was an advanced soul that she had awareness that other people don't have but they but they clearly said that she was a flawed individual <laughs> and they criticized her you know profusely in internal writings as a flawed individual but yet you know she was a, a vehicle for the information to come forth um and and there have been many attempts to discredit her uh, through the years. The the British uh, Psychic uh, Research Society, I think it's called British Institute of Psychic Research, mm-hmm. was actually started to defraud her. I mean, to investigate her and call her call her to task. And and she had supposedly written information or, or or produced letters that she said came from her masters who would visit her let's say out of body and they these were precipitous bits of information that were just given to her and and uh the letters that she received were written in bizarre ink and they were said to be fraud and 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 and, and it was it was said that she had um had uh, personally written these letters and not received them. And it took many, many years for that finding of that group to be overturned and she and she to be credited with uh, not um, being honest. And, and as a result, her letters, the so-called Mahatma letters that she received, um, are now... now I, available for public inspection under glass at the British uh, Museum in London. And, uh, you know, you just can't like walk up. You got to like talk to somebody to see them, but they're there and they're, they're, um, they're, they're considered very credible. So it took a long time for her to gain some credibility. And it was largely because she was a flawed individual who was very bombastic and argumentative. She would, for instance, be on a podium to debate uh, a high member of the Christian clergy. 
And she would just explode like a sailor and start yelling at him. And, and her handlers would have to take her off stage. Oh, you, wow. know. you know, Gary and I have talked very often about the messenger and the message. Yeah. Because so many messages have been delivered by very flawed people. Yeah. And and what we want to do is we want to somehow discredit the message because the messenger is a human person doing all kinds of human things, but we haven't yet met the perfect person. We haven't no, met no. we haven't met the individual that has no flaws. And, and you're, so, you're, you're not going to find that person here. You're just right. not. Yeah. So I think what we try to do is listen for the message carefully, but not give too much credit to the person delivering it. They, they are the delivery system, but yeah. it doesn't mean that that they should be, um, you know, held up as an example, because oftentimes they are not. Right, right. We always expect our religious leaders to walk on water, but maybe that's just figurative. Yeah. Or they know where the stones are. That's right. That's right. You know, like like the Peter Sellers movie, uh, Being There. That was great. It, which we saw. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Quite the film. Everybody should see that at least once. And Shirley MacLaine, by the way, was in that most notably as well. Oh, it had a profound effect on her because uh, Peter Sellers died uh, uh, on the set and he was uh, dead for a few moments and Shirley was there. And when he came to, uh, he had apparently a near-death experience and, she, and he said, it's amazing or something like that. It's amazing. And that kind of like turned Shirley MacLaine around. You know, we don't always benefit from a spectacular event, and it's not the kind of thing you, you would seek out a near-death experience. People have them, and they're described in a general way, recognizably, and the subject, the whole subject of NDEs, for yeah. short, remains hotly controversial, and that's okay. It's, it it yeah. makes some good conversation, though not necessarily at the Thanksgiving dinner table, Right, perhaps even there, yeah, it, it is wonderful stuff to contemplate and to speculate about. Yes, when, but let's go back to what we were talking about prior to taking our break, Vaughn, because mm -hmm. you talked about lessons and needing to learn those lessons. What I have discovered, and I've been told this by any number of people, is that if you don't get the lesson the first time around, you get a second opportunity in a starker way. And if you yeah. still don't get it the third time around, there's going to be an undeniable intensity, both circumstantially and perhaps including the kinds of people who are there to be your teachers. And the whole idea seems to be that the universe writ large, when it's operating in and through you, simply will not be ignored. The lesson yeah. is the lesson is the lesson until you get it. Exactly. And, and and people say, why did why does this sort of thing keep happening to me? Well, maybe you should really stop and think about that, because maybe it's for a reason. Vaughn, have you yourself ever experienced a past life regression? Yes, um, I have. I'm aware of some past lives and I've met people from pre previous lives, 
one of the most profound things that ever happened to me was I was uh, working on Mount Hood in Oregon, and um, I walked into a, a banquet room, and it was really noisy with everybody talking and uh, people setting up tables and, and dishes and, and music also coming over the loudspeaker. And suddenly I became only aware of one voice across the room, a person who was back to me facing someone in the corner. And I started walking toward this person. And as I got closer, she swiveled around suddenly and she said, what? Why are you shouting at me? And I said, I didn't say a thing. And that turned out to be someone that I had shared past lives with. And we mm -hmm. somehow recognized each other. And uh, I, I, we went kind of kind of slowly into the discovery phase of this. I remember um, sitting out uh, at a picnic with, with this person and saying, well, I remember a past life, life when I was a farmer poet living in what was now Wales. And uh, and I was struck by lightning and I used to take my wet, my ox cart into town and um, I was talking about my life. And then, and I said, but you know, it, my memory of that life ends when I, when there was a lightning storm and I went out into the field to try to salvage what I could. And, and then I remember suddenly it all went dark as though, Maybe I was struck by lightning. And she turned to me and she said, what you don't remember, she said, but I clearly do, is how horrible your mother treated me after your death. And I was just shocked because, in fact, we had remembered not only that life together, but another life together. And, and it seems that, that we, we tend to reincarnate with a lot of people. And they're kind of near us. You know, they're kind of our, our cluster group, maybe our gang of 12. And we don't always meet them and we don't always know them. And our roles might be different, but we come here together to learn. That is a great story. Thank you for sharing that. When you have done, you, you said you've seen more than one past life. Yeah. Have you done it uh, purposefully, like uh, under hypnosis or, or, um, self-hypnosis or a dream well, state or something like that or, yeah. or does it just come to you when you're in a waking state yeah it, it's just come to me like flashbacks i know a lot of people do a past life regression and i think that could be helpful i did it once in, in a group <laughs> and and i i was just one of the people in the group right and yes. and 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 i and i was like traveling with other people and experiencing their past lives so it didn't work for me but I, I would have these flashbacks. And, and then when I would, I would grab a hold of it, I would begin to like uh, program my dream so that I would like see more of it. And I could look, delve into it more. And I would see deeper dives, deeper glimpses into these past lives. And I, I know that my life goes back quite a long time. And, and I've lived some pretty... Uh, pretty awful lives, you know, uh, for a long time, I said, well, I have these memories of past lives, but always as a man, never as a woman. And then I had, lo and behold, I had a, a profound memory come to me of having been a woman, a mother, a single mother with two little toddlers and trying to walk across Europe during World War I and trying to keep them alive. 
you know, a lot of things we forget of a past life are probably forgotten because they're so painful. It's yes. so much, it's so much baggage to carry forward with you. Yes. You wouldn't want it. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you a little story that I read about online years ago. I never forgot it because it's just a stark piece of history. And thank goodness, I guess, that there was a 17th century gentleman who wrote all of this down for posterity. He said he wrote it down because he wanted people to know in the future that this actually happened. You, uh, there was uh, this punishment back in the day, the 16th, 17th century, maybe beyond. But anyway, it was a cruel punishment being tied to the ox cart. <laughs> and you would be stripped of your shirt and you would be flogged from one end of a street to the other, whatever length of, of space. And it would take some time, but you're being whipped by somebody, the local law enforcement as your punishment for whatever terrible thing you must have done, tied to the rear of this ox cart. And this was going on, and people were curious about this spectacle. And this man looked out his window, and what he saw was the beginnings of this terrible punishment. And all of a sudden, because there was a crowd around watching the spectacle, this woman screamed like a banshee, who clearly had a relationship to the one being punished. Mm -hmm. And she ran forth from the crowd, carrying a nice big piece of wood it could have been a, a nice thick cane mm. and the sheriff or whoever was doing the whipping turns around to see her running straight at him and she begins beating on the sheriff Ooh. and he's got this whip so defensively he's turning around and he's lashing at her with the whip and she's beating on him with the cane and the cart keeps going forward down the street with the guides into it and Ooh. i thought this is an invention of mel brooks <laughs> oh yeah yeah and he noted that the, the guy that wrote it said and the astounding part was the only one no longer getting punished was the man tied to the cart oh no <laughs> and, and his woman was fighting the sheriff and they're lashing out and pounding on each other i mean to stand there and watch that would be rather an historic moment i think uh in, in what otherwise would be uh quite cruel so uh life goes on <laughs> how's that for a time slip yeah, that's, Von, that's great. That would be something else. Von Brashler, thank you, sir, for joining us. We will do this again. You're, you have a great fund of metaphysical knowledge, and it's a lot of fun to talk to you anytime we get together. So let's do it again. That'd be wonderful. Thank you. All right. We will be in touch. And this afternoon at 1 o'clock Pacific, stay tuned for American Road Trip Talk with host Gary Mance. We'll be back tomorrow, 10 a.m. Pacific on 11.50 a.m. and, of course, 11.50kknw.com. Thanks so much for listening. Let this be the start of a great weekend for you.